Good morning. Well, it is great to be with you. I'm so grateful uh, for the invitation from my very good friend, Jim Taylor. Jim and I have known each other for over 30 years, so we were just tots when we first met. <laughs> I have a great affection for him, and I'm sure you uh, have a great affection for him as well as your new record. I keep saying new, but I realize he's coming up on his one-year anniversary um, but I, I can only assure you that that affection for him will grow. Uh, but after being with him and uh, taking a little tour of the area and being with some of you already, um, I can see why he's come to like his new job so much. Uh, <laughs> grateful to him, grateful for those of you who have invited me to be here with you. Particular word of thanks to Dale Dreps, who I, I just offered a job to in Houston and she turned me down. So. Uh, <laughs> But I look forward to spending some time with you. Hopefully this afternoon you'll come back and we can have a little bit more uh, conversation and not just uh, getting a sermon. But today I want to talk a little bit about the gospel lesson. And I, I always am worried at the 8 o'clock crowd if I start with a joke that they're just going to look back at me. So I had to introduce the idea at 8, but it went fine. So now the, now the pressure's on for you 10 o'clockers. So I'm going to start with this little joke. Little Sam was a Roman Catholic child, and as the year wound down, he realized he might land on Santa's naughty list. So one night, he sat staring at the little creche in his living room, and he, he took out a piece of paper, and he wrote a letter to Mary. Dear Mary, if you get me a new bike for Christmas, I will be good the whole year through. And he thought about it for a minute, and he knew that would just be virtually impossible. So he tore up that letter, and he began another. He said, Dear Mary, if you get me a new bike for Christmas, I promise I'll be nice to my sister for one whole year. And then he thought, no, if I'm honest, that, that's, that's not going to work either. So he sat staring for a moment, and then he gently reached into the crash. And he took, excuse me, Jimmy, I thought, I was gonna, I thought that was a trick for your new guest preacher here. So he... He, he, reached, he reached into the crash. He took out the figurine of the baby Jesus. And very softly, he cradled it. Uh, and he carried it up to his bedroom. And he took out a fine silk handkerchief and wrapped the figure in it. And placed it ever so carefully in the very back of his sock drawer. And closed the drawer. And he went back downstairs. And he finally began his last letter in this way. Dear Mary... If you ever want to see your son again. <laughs> Good, that went just like I hoped it would. So. so in today's gospel lesson, we learn a little bit more about Mary. Through the Annunciation, the announcement to Mary that God had a little surprise for her. It's a shame, I think, that the church has done so much in the telling of the Mary story that if we fail to listen to what actually happened and begin to focus a bit more on the lore and legend surrounding Mary, the story itself really begins to lose its power in our daily lives. So travel with me, if you will, to two places this morning. First, let's go to Nazareth, and then let us take what we find there and go into our hearts. So first to Nazareth in Galilee. During Mary and Joseph's day, it was not usually mutual attraction that created most of the marriages, but the arranged coupling of future husbands and wives 
by their parents. The minimum age for the girl was 12 and the boy at least 13. So, so take that information and put it on young Mary. When the angel appears to tell her she has found favor with God, she was probably still a girl who had only recently heard her first lecture on the birds and the bees. If she were in our day, she could have easily been wearing a soccer uniform or going to sleepover parties or simply hanging out with friends at the mall. She was a teenager, for God's sake, and I mean that literally, but come on, a teenager. This is whom God chooses to begin the story of the rescue of humanity from sin and death. If she were around today, she'd probably be using Clearasil and texting with her friends on her phone. You would think that someone with at least a resume would have been called. Surely if you or I had made the choice, we might have selected someone already married. For starters, someone for a good family, well-known name, proven herself worthy by living through some adult trials. But Mary does not possess any of these things. An angel comes and brings this news. You have been favored by God. And even though you aren't married yet, you're hardly old enough to conceive a child. Even though people are going to talk, Joseph may leave you. Your parents may be furious. You may get scandalized as a harlot. Even despite all those things, Mary, you're now invited to become pregnant with the divine flesh of God. Of course, the opportunity for scandal is tremendous. And that's why we see in, in Matthew's gospel, when Joseph finds out about, about all of this, he, he decides, well, better, best for everybody uh, involved just to kind of put her away quietly. You remember that story? Thank God the angel that had brought the surprising news to Mary does the same to Joseph and says, no, Joseph, this is how it's going to work. That baby in her is the direct offspring of God, and you're actually going to have to stick around. You're going to name him Jesus, and you're going to watch as he begins to work out the salvation of the world. And, and so it goes. So what can we take from this story as it's played out in Nazareth? Let's consider just a few things and do so by focusing on Mary's choices. Because it all begins with her response to the angel's announcement, invitation, if you will, to bear God's son. So at first glance, it appears as though Mary has four choices to this invitation. She could say, I cannot accept this invitation, or I will not accept this invitation, or I will with a few provisos, or simply I accept. I can't, I won't, I will with some selected fringe benefits, or I will. Now under I can't, I think most of us would agree with Mary's reasons. I can't because I'm pledged to be married and he's going to begin thinking that I've been sleeping around or because my parents and community will disown me or because I don't want that responsibility. But of course, when the king of the universe comes and says he can do something through you, any I can't is really an I won't. And so can't is usually an excuse for want, which is Mary's second option. She could have just flatly denied the opportunity to be, in her words from the gospel, the Lord's servant. And that would have been far more honest than saying, I can't. Thirdly, she could have said, I will with a few conditions. For instance, she might have said, I'll do this if you make sure my 
my family and I are provided for all the days of my life. Or uh, this child uh, that you are going to conceive in me will never face any harm. Or that others won't mock me and will in fact revere me. But again, Mary does none of these things. So she could have said, I can't, which really wasn't altogether truthful, or I won't, which would have been disobedience, or I will but, which would have been playing God, but instead she chose to say yes, and that made all the difference for her and for you and for me. This is Mary's real story to us, that she was much like you or me, just a regular girl facing problems and issues and day-to-day life, much like we do. And it was this person in whom God chose to work out the salvation of the world. She comes to us not in a, as a vision in white or as a mother who was not at times very frustrated by her son or as someone free from sin or as someone free from humanly pleasures. If we place Mary on a pedestal of our own making, not hers, then we begin to miss the whole point of God reaching out to us through Mary's womb, which was not just the birth canal for the Lord of heaven and earth, but the passageway to understanding Emmanuel, to understanding God with us. Now, you and I are called to be like Mary. No can'ts or wants or conditions, for all of those negate the possibility of knowing God right in the middle of our lives, whatever our lives are at that moment. Pain, weakness, inadequacy, wherever we are, But if we can follow her lead and say, yes, God can take us and do wonderful things through our lives, do worthwhile things through our lives. He can enable us to do something meaningful and very Mary-like. Theologians, as you might have guessed, finally came up with a word for Mary. Many of you know this word, theotokos, which means God-bearer. But we should not forget her humanity. If we do, if we take away from Mary who she was, then we begin to forget her Maryness. And if we do that, we in turn take away from the Jesusness of Christ. If we cut out the inevitable humiliation she surely faced, being pregnant and unmarried in a small town, then we deny the anguish she surely underwent. If we presume that everyone else in Nazareth heard the same message Gabriel first gave to Mary and then to Joseph, and that made everyone in the community supportive of the two of them, think again. In fact, the angel of the Lord somehow forgot to leave Mary and Joseph with a copy of God's little instruction book for God's little son. If we remove the rigors a full-term pregnancy, insisting Mary somehow didn't have to endure morning sickness or varicose veins or weight gain or hormonal headaches, she just kind of sailed into the manger nine months later, then we miss the power of her witness. The incarnation becomes the incantation, something magic, ethereal, netherworldly, simply an untruth. So let's meet Mary again, as she was, as she really was, and let's travel for a moment from Nazareth now into our hearts. God calls on each of us, you and me, right now, like Mary, to be God-bearers. He comes to us in word and sacraments and through the power of his spirit and calls us to live as his children and in witness to his love. 
You and I, when he comes in that way with that invitation, we have four choices as well. But let's be clear about what we're choosing. For instance, if we say, I can't, we are not being truthful. When God comes to us and invites us to do something, he will empower us to do that. So when I say things like this, I can't get along with my wife. I can't be there for my children when they need me. I can't give up the affair I'm having or the addiction I'm craving. I can't forgive or let go or submit or go to church or pray or give. Aren't our can't, I can'ts, really wants? Should we not say if we're really being truthful, I won't get along with my husband. I won't be there for my children when they need me. I won't give up my rage or anger or grudges or sin. I won't pray or go to church or give. We could also say, I will if, if God, if you don't make me give up my wealth or become a missionary to Africa, or I will if I don't have to take all of this religion business too seriously, if it doesn't interfere too much with my social life or my commitments or other more recognized nonprofit groups. I will, but please, please let me out of all that prayer and study and worship and service business. But of course, then we're playing God and placing him in our box. And we do this we make God in our image, and we refuse the opportunity of being made in his image. So can't, won't, will, if, or but, all of those are options to us, but all are really full of holes if we think about it. So we have another choice. We can, as Mary did, say to God, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And why wouldn't we? He calls on his children, you and me, to come to him through the person named Jesus who was the Christ and invite him into our hearts and into our lives, forsaking anything and everything for the glorious hope that we might be made into the fullness of being children of God. And do any of us really want to miss out on that? In the whisper test, the author Ann Bird tells a little story about herself. She writes this, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. And when schoolmates ask, what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short and round and happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. Some of you will remember this test. I don't think they do it anymore in schools, but she writes this, I knew from past experience that as we stood against a door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? When it came my turn, I waited there for Mrs. Leonard to whisper my words, 
And when she did, her words to me must have been put right into her mouth by God himself. For from that time on, from that day on, those seven words changed my life. Miss Leonard, in her whisper, said, I wish you were my little girl. And that, my brothers and sisters here in this part of the country, is what God is whispering to you. I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little boy. I wish you were mine. What might you be waiting for? When you think about it, there's only one right answer, not I can't or I won't or I will with all kinds of ifs and buts attached. God wants you. God loves you. All Jesus came to say and do says to us that we are favored in his sight. As God came to Mary, as he came to Joseph, he comes to you and invites you to open your heart to him this season, every day, for the rest of our lives, and allow it to be the labor and delivery room of the living Christ in yet one more place. May we, as Mary and Joseph and millions upon millions have done since, may we answer as they did before us, Lord, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. My friends here at St. George, may you have my wish for you. May you have a Merry Christmas, an M-A-R-Y Christmas. Amen.